0: I'm Josie Mitchell, and this is the Granta Magazine podcast. We have a new series out, speaking to authors about their novels, poetry, memoir, and short story collections, and also about life under lockdown. This was recorded remotely, so apologies for the shifts in sound quality. It has been a strange year, and I'm very grateful to all the authors who made the time to talk. In this episode, I'm talking to Atessa Moschfeg. About her new novel, Death in Her Hands, which follows an older woman called Vesta, whose mind is playing tricks on her as she self isolates in a cabin in the woods.
1: Her name was Magda. Nobody will ever know who killed her. It wasn't me. Here is her dead body. Yeah,
0: and thanks so much for joining me. I, I really appreciate it. Well, I'm happy we could do it. Um, to sort of give a sense, of the fact that we're all in different places. Maybe you could sort of s- talk about where you are right now.
1: Sure. I'm in, uh, my home in Pasadena, California. And, um, it's a very nice sunny day so far. Um, I have not read the news and, <laughs> um, I, I'm, yeah. So, so far I'm just like, it's 10 AM and,
0: um, I'm still a little bit in my dream world. I know a lot of writers have found that their day-to-day remains pretty similar because, you know, their they work, they often have like a place they work in their home. But have have you been, has, the, has 2020 changed the way you're working?
1: In a way, yeah. Um, I had been, I mean, I had a book coming out in April that got delayed this is the book we're going to talk about right (laughs) it was supposed to come out late april and i had been preparing mentally for this tour around the united states and to the uk and to france i think when um the book got delayed and then it was there was a question about whether a tour would happen i was like oh this, my, this year is going to look very different for me personally. And then I realized that that was just the beginning of what was going to change. Just having um, the time on my own at home has been something of a uh, new deal. Dealing with the stress of what was the beginning of this pandemic which has opened up into um, what I hope is a revolution, at least in the United States. Um, I really needed a project like that was just for me, and I realized a lot about how I had been living and like where my mind had been, and um, so I was like, "I'm, I'm going to take this time and use it." as, a uh, time to reflect through my fiction, what I actually feel and think about what's happening right now. Um, I'm finding that a lot of things that I'm struggling with on, you know, the surface of my life, I'm finding some depth to in my fiction and, a lot of that process has to do with being home alone and not interacting with society.
0: Yeah, one of the things I think is probably a really inappropriate emotional response that I've been having already to this horrible, well, difficult year, and has just been yeah that sense of excitement at what is going to come out of it in terms of people's responses, I guess, in art, but also in terms of revolution. Mm-hmm. hmm
1: I mean, I think it's. I think that if you, unless you are completely shut down and in denial and have no internal uh, monologue or self-awareness, there is no way that you're getting out of this without having been changed, without changing yourself from the inside.
0: I mean, I I think a lot of people I've been speaking to have said had said similar things that the stuff that was going on for them before this thing hit has been amplified. So whatever you were dealing with just got turned up and a lot of people should have sort of really been processing stuff like that. I mean, it's sort
1: of the perfect storm right now, the way that we have all been secluded with our digital tech devices that, you know, our HD zoom, whatever, what we perceive coming from the outside is all coming. I mean, unless you're out in the streets and I think that's awesome, but like some people can't do that. the, what we're getting is all coming through a screen, like life and reality outside of your immediate environment is coming through your computer and phone. And I think what that's doing is it's like speeding up the conflation of reality and internet reality so quickly that people are more prone to being manipulated by the devil Um, because reality doesn't seem quite real because you can just shut off your computer and then be back in your own
0: mind with everything that you've just absorbed. This is uh, optimistic chat at 10 (laughs) a.m. Should we talk about your book? Um, What we can start with is a, uh, maybe you could read from the opening and then we Mm -hmm. can sort of take it from there once you got a sense of your, your voice. Sure. Her name was Magda.
1: Nobody will ever know who killed her. It wasn't me. Here is her dead body. But there was no body, no blood stain, no tangle of hair caught on the coarse fallen branches, no red wool scarf damp with morning dew festooned across the bushes. There was just a note on the ground rustling at my feet in the soft May wind. I happened upon it on my dawn walk through the birch woods with my dog, Charlie. I would discovered the path the previous spring, just after Charlie and I had moved to Levant. We'd worn it down all spring, summer, and fall, but abandoned it during winter. The slim white trees had been nearly invisible against the snow. On foggy mornings, the birches completely disappeared in the mist. Since the fall, Charlie had been waking me up every morning at daybreak. We'd cross the dirt road and trudge up the slow rise and fall of a little hill and weave our way back and forth through the birches. That morning, when I found the note laid flat on the path, we'd made it about a mile into the woods.
0: Is that good? That's great. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, so let's sort of maybe talk a little bit about this setup for people who haven't, um, read the book who aren't familiar with it. So this is Vesta being introduced to and, and, and she's, she's living in the middle of nowhere in a cabin with her dog. Um, she, she, she's sort of a bit different, I think, from the, from the other sort of quite how would I say it? like sort of almost brittle young women that you you have written about in other books? She's she's quite homely, she's quite naive. Um, would you say that she has she she has stuff in common with previous narrators?
1: Um, to me, she does in a way, um, but she isn't she isn't who I would immediately run to to be the most fascinating one of them. You know, she is not a. Super dynamic individual by nature. She lives very quietly and um, has internalized a lot of the social dynamics about what people have expected of her her whole life. And has, I think, at this point just started to like reach a tipping point with that. Um, and what I mean is she's lived her whole life. She, she's 72. She's gone from being a daughter to a wife and then is widowed and then is alone with nothing, no children, no, you know, no outlet, no support system just her and the money she has from selling the house that she had lived in basically her whole life with her husband, Walter, who was a total asshole. So she decides to go to this cabin, to buy this cabin sight unseen in the middle of the woods on a lake in a rather depressed part of the country, um, which is totally unfamiliar to her. And she brings this dog that she had got as a kind of replacement for her husband. <laughs> and um, I think she understands that this is where she's going to die. And I think she understands that she wanted some privacy about it, but she never really says that to us. It's it's just something that I gather about her. And so I think that's sort of where we see her or where we don't see her right before the book begins.
0: Do you think that that, uh, that aspect of a tipping point is important to you? I think that's definitely something I recognize as well from other narrators. What does that tipping point Yeah, offer, I, mean, offer? I, I yeah. mean,
1: I think what it offers is um, the crack in, in the lie that you've swallowed. That's a terrible metaphor. <laughs> it's. I think what the I tipping. It. Point, <laughs> I think that the tipping point is when your delusions begin to fail you. Like oh, I can't. Like I'm not buying my own bullshit anymore. You know, like actually, I'm. I'm bored of it, or I see that it's not true, or it doesn't work for me anymore. I need some other bullshit to tell myself in order to be okay. Um, or, you know, I legitimately understand that I'm not happy and I
0: want to change. Um, are they a bad thing? Are they, are they always <laughs> a bad thing for, for a person? For you, it's like the lie, the delusion, you've got to crack through it. Mm,
1: well, I mean, we're all living under a delusion, but, um, you know, we, 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 trade in old ones for new ones. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with it unless it's killing you and you don't want to die or killing someone else. I mean, I I like fully support people who want to just be fucked up. And they're like, that's not like, it isn't in like, you know, my karma and this life is I'm fucked up and confused and I'm never truly going to connect And I'm going to live under this specific delusion and it's going to kill me. I'm like, okay, that's, you know, that's really sad for the rest of us to watch, but I'm not going to judge you for doing
0: that, you know? I love this thing you just said about how you'd gathered something was true about Vesta. Like, this is a person independent of your creation. Does it feel like that? Like when you're building up a character, it sort of gets momentum where you start learning about them almost independently of your own awareness
1: yeah that's when i know that i'm on the right track when when i start thinking about them like they're a real person (laughs) you know um well like let's say you meet someone you become friends with them but they don't reveal everything to you you might go home at night and like talk to your partner and be like you know i have a suspicion that so and so (laughs) is kind of actually blah 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 and, um, you know, that's when it gets really fun because you, as, as the author, I can play with how much Vesta wants to reveal directly about herself, how much she's telling the truth about herself, how much she's inferring, you know, and, and how much is she hiding.
0: One of the uh, things I, I loved about the book is the way Vesta herself almost models the same process. Mm-hmm. So you've got Vesta discovering this note about this person called Magda and she doesn't know anything other than a name at the beginning. And then she starts sort of imagining a life and a backstory to this, you know, potentially endangered woman. Uh Um, It sort of encourages me as a reader to think about how you as a writer are going about it. Right. It's, um, do you, was, was that a sort of a game that you were aware of playing with the reader? Were you playing a game or maybe with yourself? I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't call it a game. I would just call it, um, I mean, in a way, I fe- it felt very honest. Um,
0: the opposite of a game, then. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, to, to reveal how a character might construct a character, I mean, it's not uh, like Vesta doesn't go about constructing Magda's character in exactly the way I constructed Vestas, but there is the, some similarity there in that it becomes, it, 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 okay. It begins with trying to visualize the person and then details about the person and the way that you might um, observe a person to be. And then you start imagining the reasons behind those ways of being, and you start to get story. And when you start to get story, you have to fill in a lot of blanks. Where did she come from? Why is she here? How did she get here? Um, you know, where did she go? Who did she meet? Who did she like? Who didn't she like? Who liked her? Who didn't like her? What did she eat? Where did she live? You know. How did she feel? What was she thinking? And then when you get into the, what was she thinking? <laughs> that's, that's when you have invented a character. And, um, yeah, I mean, so that's kind of what Magda do, um, Vesta does about Magda, and that's definitely how I work, too.
0: Um, Vesta's in this community. She's just come, as you said, Um with some money, bought this cabin, but she's definitely separate from the local town. She feels like an outsider in her new community, partly because of her name and partly maybe just because she doesn't know anyone or she might even feel a bit uh, better than the people in the town that she sort of judges slightly for their appearance Uh or the way they move around. Uh Um, Again, it's, it's something that uh, I, I feel like you tackle. Um you've tackled more than once this sense of uh someone on the periphery. It feels like you're chewing on this p- this position to community. What what is uh-huh. it about that that feeling that interests you?
1: Well, it's kind of my only experience. Um, um yeah. I mean it's <laughs> I I could probably focus on something else, you know, at this point. But I have, I mean, I, I, like as a writer approaching self-expression in a form that is to be delivered to a bunch of people, I'm already on the outside because I'm not you reading the book, you know. Mm-hmm. So I am different.
0: And like, I'm curious whether you think that everybody feels like a, a bit of a freak. Yes, absolutely. I,
1: w- I absolutely think that everyone thinks that they're on the outside. This is what I think. I think everyone feels that they're on the outside. And what that means to me is that the idea of an inside is something we've created. There is no inside. It's just an idea. It's just something that we can visualize so that we can feel like we're not a part of it.
0: It's weird. Like, I think you're right. Everybody, can, everybody I think, thinks of themselves as an outsider, but they also have a load of insider mentalities going on as well. I know, but those aren't the ones that they are aware of. Yeah, I think your sense of belonging is not the thing you're sitting in bed at night sort of like dwelling on. I think that's true.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know anyone who does that. It's like, okay, my whole identity is summed up by me belonging to this group and we are the inside. I mean, maybe that's what like narcissistic psychopaths who have like some special club think. I don't know.
0: I think there's also an element to the way that you write and I think also think that like speaks to the virtue of thinking, uh, things through in, on, on your, on your own, like thinking, like holding positions or opinions that differ from the common line and there being a value in that. Are you sitting around trying to like deprogram society's ways of telling you how things work? Oh my
1: God. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yes. That's like all
1: I do, Jessie. <laughs> I literally just sit around trying to figure out how to deprogram myself so that I can write better books.
0: What does that look like? Is it just like meditation or is it no. arguing with like arguing with yourself? What is it? How does it work? How, how I, do I do it? How do I do
1: it? <laughs> oh my God. Well, do you, <laughs> um, okay. Like I mean, you have to start early. Like, I don't know if you can cultivate this obsession. Um, um, I mean, honestly, it's something that happens through thinking about my work. Like I need a vehicle to drive the car into the wall of society for me to see, like, you know, where are its weak spots and what is it made out of? Um, And my, my fiction is that, like, that's, that's the gift it gives me, and it's also the thing that my fiction is about. Um, yeah, but deprogramming is is also something that I feel like is um uh like a family thing, <laughs> like my, like my big sister, who's you know one of my best friends and definitely an enormous influence on me as my big sister mm. is has you know been someone who's engaged in deep programming since she was little also and um having that be you know and something that one talks about and one you know yeah analyzes and is the topic of conversation. Like it just is Mm. like, where are people being where, where, like what is the lie and how do we understand it and how can we find what isn't the lie in it? Yeah. So it's just sort of like a tradition.
0: (laughs) I think the thing that's interesting about it is it's also, it, it's also quite a vulnerable it makes you a bit vulnerable, right? I think and I speak I say that of like characters as well, that that sort of as you say, this like lie, the cracking, the lie happens and an individual comes into a cat like comes into the presence of their own imagination and their own mind and it can take you to some pretty you know, as an individual away from the community, things can go a bit yeah, things can go anywhere. I
1: mean, community is a is a a really important word, right? Because we all define it in a different way. And I have had um, like several communities in my lifetime, and they have all freaked me out. (laughs) Like I like I have always been afraid of them uh, because I've been unsure of my place and unsure of my welcome. So I've kind of just given up and have started defining community based on, like, who calls me and who do I call? Like, it's my best friends and my family. That's it. Like, I don't... And and maybe, like, you know, included in best friends are some, like, colleagues.
0: I think, weirdly, a lot of people have gone sort of segued towards that way of being in 2020 because Mm. there's no sort of... Meeting people for coffees and running around, keeping up acquaintances. Most people are or have been in their homes, and it's the people that you you dial on your phone that uh-huh. you stay in touch with. Uh huh. Yeah. To bring it back to the book, uh-huh. one 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 thing I think you really nailed is just how important pets are in isolation.
1: Uh-huh. I've
0: lost count of the number of people I know who have bought pets this year. It's amazing how. Companion animals can mean so much when people are, are in these, these bubbles.
1: I know, I know. We, it's, these animals are really a gift from God. And, you know, I've been feeling so close to my dog, whose name actually is Walter. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I named him Walter. <laughs> Boy, but, that's at so time, <laughs> but at the time I had forgotten that the character's name was Walter. Like, I just, like, I, I did,
0: like... You'd consciously forgotten.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just didn't keep the character
0: associated with the name,
1: but, um, yeah. what has- is the name of uh,
0: Vesta's uh, husband? Husband, Late yeah. husband. Right. It is interesting, though, that you did say earlier that um, Vesta replaced uh, her husband with a dog, so those two <laughs> names are quite linked.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. You're absolutely right. You absolutely are right. But my dog, is comp- my, my dog is like my best friend. I mean, I can't, I, I can't tell you how, how much I talk about my dog and how much I talk <laughs> to my dog. You've
0: been listening to the Granter Magazine podcast. The music was taken from the album First Flights by Trilog. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps other people to find us. And a reminder that this has been recorded under lockdown conditions. So please be kind if you can.